The reading for today is from Galatians, uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 11. This is on page 1168 of the Church Bibles. Starting at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, 
they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I shall remain standing. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you speak to us through your word now. Help us to understand it, make it come alive, and speak into our hearts and into our minds. Show us more of you and for what you want for us. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may have seen in the news in the last couple of days that the actress, film star Eva Green has been in the news and been in court. If you don't know who Eva Green is, she is the woman who co-starred with Daniel Craig in the James Bond film Casino Royale. And uh, she's in court not because she was in a James Bond film, because she had a contract to appear in a science fiction film. Uh, and it all sounds a bit chaotic on set, and the film was never made. And um, perhaps not unreasonably, she still expected to be paid her £800,000 fee. Um, the film producers weren't happy with that, so they took her to court, and, it, and their line was that she was the reason and the cause of the film not being made. They appeared in court in January, and last week, or this week, the judge pronounced his decision. He found in her favour, but he said in some ways, in some senses, she was a frustrating and unsatisfactory witness. Largely because she couldn't explain the reason for what she'd said in her WhatsApp messages that were released in court, and essentially put it down to being French. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the judge would have made of Paul as he wrote the Galatians. I think he would have found him a more consistent witness and a more organised in his presentation. Because as we see, as we go through this letter and we look at this passage, that the context that Paul is writing to the Galatians about is that when the first Christians became Christians, they were essentially Jewish people from a Jewish background who started to follow Jesus. And so they were used to following the Jewish law. But as time went on and the gospel spread, people like you and me started to become Christians. 
people who weren't Jews, who were Greeks, who were Gentiles, started to follow Jesus. And a question arose then, should they also have to start following the Mosaic law that the Jews followed and finding its fulfilment in things like circumcision? Uh, And you you read through the Bible, you read the book of Acts, these things come to a head in Acts chapter 15. So Paul is writing to the Galatians in that sort of context. And in the first part of this passage, which is the rest of chapter 1, he looks at his gospel and talks about where that comes from. And then in chapter 2, he goes on to talk about the meeting that he had with the leaders of the Jerusalem church. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, either on your phone or one of these blue ones in the seat, if you'd like to open it to page 1,168, I think you'd find that would be very helpful. Um, And if you've got a spare finger, if you could put that into Acts 9, I think that would also be helpful. I'll give you a page number for that in a second. That's 1,102. Because some of the things that you'll see that we go through are described in those details in Acts 9. And I've put my watch in that place rather than a finger. So if we're still here in 45 minutes' time, you'll know why the watch is hidden by the Bible. So let's have a look and let's jump into this. Paul is clear keen to make clear straight away that the gospel he preached came to him directly by revelation from Jesus Christ. And this is made or brought out in verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. It wasn't of human origin, not something he received, perhaps like a tradition passed down, a culture, a heritage that you might go down through the generations, something traditional like that. He wasn't taught it, he didn't go to some school or some college or university and sit down and be taught it and have it explained to him. The revelation came directly from Jesus Christ. And then in the rest of chapter 1, he goes on using his autobiographical details to explain how that's happened and to give the details and the time frame to back this up. So the first thing he wants to make clear is that his cultural heritage that he grew up in was transformed by his encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And we find this in verses 13 and 14. See, Paul had grown up as a Jewish person, and you can read about him in Acts 9, if you want to flick over to where your finger is, it's in there, and you'll see some of the things that Paul did to the church Paul was very anti the Christian church. He persecuted, he imprisoned people, he argued against it. 
He hunted them down. He was a very keen, he tells us in Galatians, Jew. And overtook and was further on in his Jewish faith than many people who were of a similar age. He was that keen in studying it, in getting to know it. He was zealous about it. That was his cultural heritage. But then in verse 15, God revealed Jesus Christ to him. On the road, you read this in Acts 9, if you want to flick back, on the road to Damascus, as Paul is going to persecute more Christians, he encounters a blinding light and the risen Jesus. And Paul is blinded, but Jesus speaks directly to him. And for three days he remains blind until Ananias comes and prays with him. Paul had been chosen by God. Paul had been chosen not just by accident, not just because he was keen, but he tells us that he'd been picked out from birth. There's echoes there, isn't there, of Isaiah and Jeremiah recognising that God knew them from their earliest time and had his hand on them. But the change that came about in Paul from this encounter on the road to Damascus was absolutely dramatic. And any sense that the gospel he preached could have come from his cultural heritage went out the window. Because no longer was he persecuting Jews. No longer was he trying to track them, persecuting Christians. No longer was he trying to track them down. But instead, he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Because God had revealed Jesus Christ to him as Lord in that encounter. The second thing he's clean to make clear is that he hadn't had any direct teaching from the apostles in Jerusalem. Now it seems quite likely that what was going on was there was an accusation flying around that Paul had learned his gospel from the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and then had deviated from it or deducted from it in his preaching to the Gentiles and especially to the Galatians. And again, Paul uses his autobiographical details because he gives very precise details about what happened after he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. He says that in verse 16, he revealed his son to me, I did not consult with any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. There's no sense that Paul, having had this encounter with Jesus, having been blind, having prayed for by Ananias, then went and found what the leaders in Jerusalem were saying, found from them, and then preached his gospel, he went straight off to Arabia. And there's no indication of what he does there. Um, We don't know whether he studied, we don't know whether he preached the gospel. I guess 
It was a reflection of both. But while he was there, it's clear he didn't go to any Bible college or theological college or do any formal studying in that sense. And then he tells us in verses 18 and 19 that three years later, he goes up to Jerusalem. Now, the three years is probably after he was converted rather than three years after he went to Arabia. There's all this sort of bit of sort of jiggly-pokery with the timings to, to get right. And he goes to Jerusalem. He tells us to get acquainted with Peter, to get to know Peter. He doesn't go to study. He's only there 15 days. And he tells us he saw none of the other apostles. And you might wonder why he didn't see any of the other apostles. Well, flick back to where your finger is, Acts 9, verse 26. Why didn't they see Paul? Because they're all frightened of him. They knew him as this person who persecuted the church, who hunted them down, the Christians. So they weren't too keen on meeting them. So the only person he meets is James. And he gets to know Peter as a person. I guess he asked Peter what it was like being a disciple. I guess he asked Peter what happened on that first Easter day. But there's no sense that Peter was training him or telling him what to do. And then we find, at the, towards the end of chapter 1, we find in verse 21, that then later he goes up to Syria and Cilicia. And almost certainly that is on mission. Paul is very precise about when he went when. He's not a flaky witness who can't explain his WhatsApp messages. It's very clear that he went there and then there and then there. And at no time did he meet to learn from the apostles in Jerusalem. In fact, so little was he known in Jerusalem. He tells us in verse 22 that the churches in Judea didn't know him personally. They wouldn't have recognised him if he walked in on one of their services. But they'd heard the rumours, the story, that this man who persecuted them was now proclaiming the gospel and they rejoiced because of it. See, Paul wanted to be clear. The gospel that he proclaimed had come from God. It hadn't come from something he was taught as he was growing up, from his cultural tradition and heritage. It hadn't come from the other apostles. But because he'd encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, God had opened his eyes and revealed to him the gospel. Now, we don't know how we did, how we did it, but I imagine that, you know, in those three days of blindness... As he thought what was going on, as he thought and remembered this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, that things began to fall into place. And as he looked at his Jewish religion that he'd grown up with, and he thought about the Jewish scriptures, and he thought about Jesus and what he'd heard that he'd said, that things began to make sense. And Paul began to understand the gospel 
that was being revealed to him by God. That's what he's saying in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he then goes on. Because 14 years later, he goes to Jerusalem. And that's how it starts. And so chapter 2 is this account of what happens when he meets these Jewish leaders the, of the church in Jerusalem. Now I have to say to you that um, one of the commentaries I looked at described this as one of the most convoluted language and one of the longest sentences that Paul uses in any of his letters. So if you struggle to understand it a bit when the reading took place, you're in good company. The problem is he's got a sort of sentence going through it and he goes off in tangents and diversions. So we're going to try and look at what he's saying in the main bit and then we'll come back and look at the diversions. So 14 years later, Paul returns with Barnabas and Saul to Jerusalem. And he meets privately with those who thought to be the leaders in the Jerusalem church. And he presents to them the gospel that he is preaching because he wanted to be sure, he says, that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Pointlessly. Now, it's not that he's looking for approval from those apostles in Jerusalem because his gospel came from God. What he's looking is all looking for that the the people who'd come to faith, people who'd come to believe and follow Jesus through hearing that gospel would be accepted also as part of the church that had started in Jerusalem. And so what he was looking for was to say, this is the gospel I preached. Do you agree that the people who've responded to that gospel and followed Jesus are just as much part of your church as the people here in Jerusalem. And there's three responses that the people, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem make. The first one is to say that they're satisfied with Paul's message, that they don't need to add anything to it. And that's quite critical because they considered Paul's gospel in what he said to be sufficient. They didn't say to him, well, that's great so far, but you also need to tell people they need to do this and to do this, and especially they need to do that. What Paul had been proclaiming, they said was sufficient. The gospel of salvation through grace did not need anything else adding to it. And that was critical. So they didn't add anything. That's the, if you like, the negative bit. They, they, they didn't need to add anything on. But more positively, they extended fellowship to Paul and Barnabas. And so we read in verse 9 that James, Peter and John, those thought of as pillars of the church in Jerusalem, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Saw them as equals. 
and fellow partners in the gospel. And there's two reasons that they did this. The first one we find in verse 7, that they recognised that just as Peter had been given a mission to the Jewish people, so Paul had similarly been given a mission to the Gentiles. They understood that Peter and Paul had parallel and complementary missions. Peter to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. And so in verse 9, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the Jews. They saw the parallel and complementary nature of their missions. Secondly, they recognised that Paul's ministry, his mission, the people turned to Christ as a result of him preaching, were because of God's grace working in him and through him. And they find in verse 8, it said, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. You see, Paul says in the writes of Corinthians, he didn't come with fine oratory skills. He didn't come with fine preaching. He came with the power of God. And that's how he proclaimed the gospel. And that's what the leaders in Jerusalem recognised, that God was blessing Paul. That God was blessing Paul as he went on his mission, as he proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And because of that, people were turning to follow Jesus. And so they recognised that they got complementary missions. And they recognised that God, through his grace, through the Holy Spirit, was blessing Paul and making his mission effective. They had one request, and we find this in verse 10. They made one request of Paul, that he should remember the poor, look out for the poor. And Paul says that was great, because he'd been eager to do that all along. So that's the gist of what they're saying. That's, if you like, the sentence that flows through from verses 1 to 10. Now let's come to the digressions. And there's three of them. And there's a suggestion that Paul dictated this letter. And I have to say that made me smile because um, there was in my tar- a time in my life when I used to do dictation. And I'd sit at home with my little dictating machine um, and I'd dictate the school newsletter to go out to parents. And uh, proud of it, you know, ten minutes later or longer, you know, the, it's all done. And my PA would type it up the next day. And I would generally wait till about one o'clock in the afternoon and she'd have finished time bringing it in and I'd spend the next hour crossing out bits. It sounded great when I was talking at home, but you thought, they don't really want to know about that bit then. Or, you know, let's cut it down, let's make it so that it communicates directly. And uh, I guess Paul was similar in his digressions. The first digression was Titus. He'd taken Titus with him. And Titus was a Greek, he was a Gentile, he wasn't from a Jewish heritage. But we find in verse 3 of chapter 2 that Paul says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised 
even though he was a Greek. See, this was significant. If needing to follow the Mosaic law was part of the gospel that the church in Jerusalem believed was essential, then surely they would have compelled Titus to be circumcised. Now, we don't know if they, didn't, if they wanted it but didn't force it or whether it never arose as an issue. But clearly, it wasn't fundamental that those who'd come to follow Jesus, who weren't Jews, had to follow the Jewish law. And so Titus is significant, although he's a digression, he's significant in this account because he's an example of the attitude of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. The second digression was the infiltrators. It tells in verse 4 that this matter arose. If you, know, if you look closely, if you've got your magnifying glass, you see there's a little sort of L-shaped and a backward L-shaped thing at the bottom of that phrase. It's not in the Greek. It isn't in the original gospel. But they had to put in to try and give it a bit of sense in this, you know, so you could understand what was going on as so they translated it. So we've got Titus because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spawn the freedom we have in Jesus Christ and to make us slaves. There were clearly people who'd come into the Gentile church proclaiming or claiming that the gospel that Paul proclaimed was not sufficient. And following on from the reference to Titus and circumcision, it seems likely that this is referring to that issue about the Jewish law and whether, whether the Gentiles had to do things like circumcision. But Paul says in verse 5, we did not give in to them for a moment. He actually says for an hour. Um, it means a moment because the hour was the shortest length of time that you'd use in that sort of basis. There was no compromise. We'd say in English, didn't he? he didn't give an inch. You might not know what an inch is, but it's uh, an ancient unit of measurement. There was no compromise at all. Because Paul recognised that as soon as you say the gospel of Jesus Christ is about believing that Jesus died on the cross for you and your sins. And you need to do this. It becomes not about what God's done for you, but about the bit you need to do. And it doesn't matter if that bit is a big thing like circumcision, or it's a smaller thing about giving sacrifices. Or following a calendar of ritual events. Because as soon as you put that extra bit in, it becomes about the extra bit that you do, rather than what God's done for us in sending Jesus Christ. So there are infiltrators in the church, and Paul is as keen to be clear that there could be no compromise. The third digression is probably best described as the important ones. 
As for those who seem to be important, the leaders of the church, I guess in our case, people like Mike and John. But Paul says, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearances. Why does he have this little jab? at leaders because they are leaders in the church and God has used them and blessed them as that but they're no different to you and me and the fact they may stand up the front the fact they may talk the fact they may look as if they know lots doesn't make them any different Because we're all equal in God's sight. And as Jesus said, whoever wants to be the first among you must become your servant. See, there is no hierarchy in the kingdom of Jesus. And Paul wants to make it clear because it's not that he needs their approval. There is no hierarchy. His gospel has come from God. So, as we press on and come towards a close, what are the implications of this for us today? Well, let me ask you, what defines or shapes our gospel, your gospel? Those times when you tell people about Jesus, when you tell colleagues or friends, what defines or shapes that for you? Is it that revelation through Jesus and his word? Or do other things start to creep in as well? How much is it shaped by our cultural tradition? By our Englishness? Do we expect people when they become Christians to become, if we're honest, a little bit more English? Or dare I say it, a little bit more middle class English? Or can we put that aside? Is it shaped by perhaps what's being passed on to us by the traditions that came from our parents? In our house group, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, or we are looking at the Ten Commandments, and we had to describe what our Sundays were like as children. I can see Audrey laughing. It was quite hilarious. But clearly our vision of Sunday and our view of Sunday and Sabbath was shaped for many of us by what we received from our parents. How much is our gospel shaped by those who teach us? The latest conference speaker we heard or the American mega pastor that we can watch on TV. Now all those things are good in their own way. You know, our culture and our tradition makes us what we are. Our parents have an important role in bringing us up. It's right that we sit under the word of God and soak up the word of God. But beyond all those, our gospel needs to be shaped solely around what God has revealed in his son Jesus and has revealed through his word. And when people like me stand up here, we need to say, is that consistent with that gospel? 
and check those things out. Because as Paul said, we're all equal. There's nothing special about us. The second question I want to ask is, how clear is your Jesus story? The story of how Jesus has interacted with you and met you in your life. And shaped it from there. Can you look back as Paul could and say this happened and this happened and this happened? There may not be great evangelistic events. You may not have gone to all these different countries to proclaim the gospel. But are you clear on how God has led you? How Jesus supported you and called you? You see, I think that there's our personal individual stories about our life with Jesus, speaking away to people that is perhaps far more than just teaching the scripture. There's something they can't argue about with what you've encountered and what you've experienced. And it attracts them in a different way. Um, I've recently come across inspiration with Simon Gilbao. That's how he pronounced the second name. The podcasts that him talking to people about what it means for them to be a Christian, how they came to follow Jesus and how he's led them subsequently they're about 45 minutes, they're great to listen to while you're walking the dog or driving the car, you know, you want to be doing something else at the same time but they're incredibly encouraging of how Jesus has led people in their lives and some of them are fantastic, famous people like George Ver. some of them I've never heard of some of them have been through amazing experiences. Some of them have been through really tough times. But it's how God has led them and Jesus has been with them. How clear are you on your Jesus story? And thirdly, what's your mission? You see, Peter's mission was the Jews. Paul's was the Gentiles. What's yours? Who are the people that you are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to? Your friends, your neighbours, members of your family, your colleagues? Do you know who it is? See, there's a danger isn't it, that we, we think about missionaries and mission as just being about those people that we pray for on the notice sheet. But actually it's all of us. And we're all called to spread the good news of Jesus. We're all called to make his gospel known. We may be called to speak up for the Christian way of doing things in a particular system. Maybe that we're called to stand alongside that just stand alongside those going through tough times. Paul knew his mission was to the Gentiles. Do you recognise where God has put you for your mission? Let's pray together. Father, we want to be used by you. We want to know that same grace that you bestowed upon Paul, bestowed upon us. Father, we pray that we be empowered to proclaim your gospel. Father, we pray that you would help us to be sure that gospel is true to you. 
Father, we pray that you'd help us to recognise those you sent us to. And Father, we pray that we'd be clear about the role you've played in our lives and how you led us. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for all you've done for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.